how long from that, if I call you up and say, hey, I want to get a loan, what's that process look like? I'm curious, you know. Minutes, seconds, if possible. I don't set appointments. I just attack everything as it comes. I like to say that, you know, that carnival game, whack-a-mole, that's yeah. my entire day is just whacking moles. I'm always caught up on emails. I never let anything. You get to inbox zero? Yeah, I'm just relentless at keeping that thing at zero. And I say it's like every morning from like 6 a.m. to midnight, just running a gauntlet. And I love it. I love the intensity and the pace. It's just, it's insane. I think your, your work ethic is off the shizzle. Like it's crazy. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today's show, Brian Cook. Brian is a mortgage broker based in Laguna Beach, California. He is the number one mortgage broker in Utah, 2019, 2020, 2021. More on that later. Brian, in my estimation, is the most efficient mortgage broker in America. In his top year, he had funded 1,033 files with no assistant, no help, no processor, an absolutely bonkers number. Yes, he worked seven days a week and ran his business up in Excel spreadsheet, but that is a ridiculous amount of production. In his top month, I think he had funded 128 mortgages. Very inspiring conversation that I have with Brian today. And a couple of my takeaways, actually, I was so inspired by this conversation. I did a 10 loans a month episode where I talk about the three things I learned from the most efficient mortgage broker in America. First is to keep it simple. You know, Brian's really an advocate of keeping the business simple so that he can scale it. He obsesses about his client experience. I mean, the fact that he generates a ridiculous sum of referrals, he buys leads, then gets referrals from those bought leads, which most people cannot do, shows me that he walks the walk and he does the hard work. I mean, man, you know, the fact that he's got a business in Utah because it's very difficult to get your license there and there's a lot of extra red tape and regulation, he saw that as an opportunity and now basically owns that market. So I think you're going to find this as a very inspiring conversation with Brian. I know that I did. Before we jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers and brokers. Extremely easy to use. The app is intuitive. It also, as the person's filling out the app, it's figuring out what documents that we need from them and sends them a notification. It's got smart submission notes, so it pulls key data from the application, puts them in the notes, so it makes it easier and faster for your underwriter to underwrite your file. And then finally, it's connected to Lender Spotlight, which is the premier tool for searching rates and guidelines. And you can go search before you hit the submit button. And then even when you do select a lender, it will pull up saying, hey, just double check. Are you aware that of X, Y, and Z with this lenders? Again, saves you time, makes it easier for you to underwrite files. Go check them out at lendesk.com slash Finmo and book a free demo. And in our Ask the Expert segment today, I have Reuven from Deeded talking about the myths of a virtual closing. So have a listen to that after this conversation with Brian. Hey, Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Yeah, I'm originally from Burlingame, California, a small suburb along the peninsula in the Bay Area. And like most of us, my parents are my greatest role models. My father was an executive in the airline industry, and he was constantly traveling around the world for work. Although he was rarely present growing up because of his demanding job duties, through his actions, he taught me that, number one, hard work can make you CEO one day. Number two, show appreciation and value everyone you work with. I've heard many times that people love working with and for my father. And number three, just be kind, be gentle, be generous, be easygoing, and good things will happen to you. 
I'm half Vietnamese from my mother's side. You know, she's your typical shrewd, extremely hardworking businesswoman. She ran her own successful restaurant and catering business for several decades. I watched her leave the house at 4 a.m. and came home at 10 p.m. So I had a lot of self-discipline as a child, kept out of trouble, was always focused on excelling at anything I chose to do. And growing up, the greatest lesson my mother taught me through her actions was you could have everything you want in life if you just work hard enough for it. So through both of my parents' actions, I learned the value and appreciation of being disciplined and working hard. I've also been fascinated with numbers and managing money since I was in second grade. After school, I would help as cashier at my mom's Asian seafood produce market in Millbury, California. And my mom would tell me that people would watch in awe as this little boy produced correct change from large bills in just seconds without using a cash register. In high school back in 1997, I earned awards as mathematician and student athlete of the year. I was one of the fastest long-distance runners in the state of California. I ran a 420-mile and a 915-2-mile. I was recruited Dude, by Cal That's crazy. I oh, hold on. I got to ask. So do you still run? <laughs> I do, but there's only so much time in the day. So I'm no longer shooting for times, but, you know, you got to stay healthy. So, so but, Okay, still, but still just, I got to ask. So, like, what could you think you could run a mile at today if you were just like... I'd be good if I can break seven minutes, but... Uh, my health has gotten the best of me. My legs, my legs and my uh, knees are having a hard time holding up. But yeah, back in college, I ran on the varsity team for three years. And then I went on to run 16 marathons in 13 different states. So I'm still on a quest to run one marathon in every state. And a marathon, you need to have a lot of stamina. And being able to roll with whatever comes your way. And I feel that same patience plays a valuable part in the loan origination process. Right. It's a marathon, um, not a sprint for doing the mortgage business. And so... That's fascinating. Okay, so you sound like you have an amazing family. Like your parents sound very inspiring. So how did you end up in mortgages? Like what led you from running and all the other things doing? How did you get into the mortgage business? Yeah, so after graduating from Berkeley in uh, December 2001, I was still living at home with my mom playing video games most of the day. <laughs> and by March 2002, she gave you me- You got your degree. You're like, hey, mom, so I'm just going to go and play some video games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I- we can get into my video game addiction a little bit later, but she gave me an ultimatum, go pick weeds in the backyard or go get a job. I absolutely hate doing house chores, even to this day, it's the absolute worst. So I whipped together my resume and went job searching. With my fascination with numbers, I always knew I wanted to do something in finance, but mortgage wasn't my first choice. After my second year in college, I interned at an investment bank, UBS Payne Weber, and it just became clear that the financial markets just were not a good personality fit. So I graduated during one of the worst economic times of recent decades, right after the dot-com crash of 2000. Jobs for new grads were pretty limited. However, there was this company called Provident Funding back in my hometown of Burlingame that was hiring. So it was literally my first job interview, and I accepted the offer. I started as a reviewer, auditor of closed loan packages. We purchased from other correspondent lenders, you know, just making sure everything was included for sale to our investor. Definitely not the most glamorous position, but... We all got to start somewhere. So you're basically, so I'm clear on this, you're underwriting a file in a way that's already been underwritten, but right. you're just, just making sure that everything is in the package that, you know, the- would, And would you do this on every really file? Like, so if somebody, because they typically put these loans yeah, in huge bundles of like 20 million plus. So do they actually review or you just spot check them? We're just like, this is back in the day of Manila folder, file folders where you ship packages and you have to just scan through them, just making sure everything is in there. Making sure that I's are dotted, the T's are crossed. But so would you check if an investor bought these loans, would they check them all or just like sample them? This sample, no one's ever auditing everything is a spot check right. and just. Okay. I would have figured one, that would have been a massive amount of work to re basically look at those files and 
interesting. It's not what I went to four years of college for. Right. That way. But, but it wasn't picking weeds. Hey, I learned a lot, you know, read every document that I would come across. So it was a good way to just. What's the most surprising thing that you learned from that job? I mean, it's as boring as it could get. <laughs> <laughs> it's like watching paint dry. You're like, this, this couldn't be any more boring. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So you started there. How did you go from that into now your originator? Yeah. I mean, your top so, originator in the state of Utah, which we're going to get to, even though you don't so live there, I, which is I, hilarious. But we'll come to this in a minute. So. <laughs> I worked my tail off. I was quickly promoted to division coordinator where I oversaw like a team of 10 auditors or reviewers. After six months in my new managerial role, the company issued quarterly bonuses. I received 5000 which I thought was way under the amount of work and effort and time that I put in, especially when many others in production roles, such as underwriting, received much more. I was putting in 12, 16, 18-hour days at times, and I just felt totally undervalued. So it's from that point forward, I knew I wanted to be in a position where I had more control over my pay based on the effort put forth. I learned about some of the commission paychecks the loan officers were receiving in our retention department. And then I immediately put You're in like, a job. Wait a second. And so you basically, your mom and dad's work fair. ethic, and you just applied that to that role and realizing that this work that you're outworking your colleagues, but there's only so much pay you're going to get in that role. Like there's a cap on that. Yeah. That I mean, the whole salary and glass ceiling, it's not good, but most people are just not willing to bet on themselves and go into an all commission role. And it is what it is, but for me, for someone that's hardworking and has a strong work ethic, a salary position is not right. Right, yeah, it doesn't work. Okay, so out, what was um, your first year like? So did you stay at that company or go somewhere else? Where'd you go oh, from I there? I stayed there too long. I stayed there for 14 more years. From 2002 to 2015, I was their top producing originator. I closed about 7,500 loans in total or about 600 per year. That may seem like a lot of loans. It is, but I did have a lot of help. So after locking, I would immediately hand the file off to a processor to guide the loan through, but stay in communication as needed, you know, to answer any LO specific questions. Plus the majority of the loans were refinances of past clients. So they were slam dunk deals. But the last three years there, I joined the purchase loan team to try to increase purchase loan business. And I was able to help increase it by about 200% per year. And then you became a mortgage broker. When did that happen, right? Well, so I finally got the courage to leave that cushy job in 2016, I joined this uh, purchase-centric lender called Movement Mortgage. They're one of the top producing purchase lenders. They still are in the country. Their culture of people and marketing really captured me, and it was night and day compared to Providence. And then for the first time in my career, I actually had leaders who truly valued and cared about my growth, and they did all they could to make me successful through their servant leadership style. I do want to give a shout out to uh, two individuals, James Frazier and Robert Sinehu. Uh, they were the market leaders for movement in Northern California at the time. They made such a profound impact on my career and growth as a person. So since they cared so much about my growth, I began to look inwards for the first time ever. I had never read or listened to any self-improvement material or books in my life. You know, I was just always a workaholic doing loans. A coworker introduced me to Darren Hardy, one of the greatest mentors for high achievers, and suggested I subscribe to his Darren Daily videos, where each weekday morning subscribers receive a new message or something to focus on that day, you know, something to get your mind in the right state to crush the day, because our brain isn't naturally programmed to think of success. You know, our brain is always thinking survival mode first and taking the path of least resistance when it comes to making any choice in life. You know, it just takes a concerted focus and effort to think of success. So I was hooked on personal growth. I was spending so much time each day absorbing every success quote and rewiring my operating system. 
I was so moved by his books, The Compound Effect and The Entrepreneur Roller Coaster, that I felt obligated to return the favor of investing in others in my sphere of influence. I was lasting personal development material all over my social media. I became a mini Darren Hardy. I mailed about 100 copies of people in my sphere who you know, raised their hand when they saw what I was doing with my life. I was barely writing any loans or moving mortgage. I just, you know, was too fascinated with personal growth. And plus, I was frustrated over the inefficient process and higher than expected rates, which was a complete 180 compared to Providence. So after six months at movement, I left to join Ethos Lending, who was run by a lot of my former colleagues from Providence. I was brought on to create a retail division, Agora Lending, and it was- Sorry, was Ethos, partner. was that a mortgage broker position or was that like- That was a director of a new retail division. Okay. They were just all wholesale. So they brought me on to help prop up a retail division. And so that's where I met my business partner and CEO of Sunny Hill, Tyler Flora. In just a few months, we scaled the division to $100 million a quarter via the consumer direct channel. However, the systems and process to close alone on the back end, like underwriting and closing, was an uphill battle in every file. It was just extremely difficult to close a loan. So one day after work, around April 2018, we were having drinks, and I said to Tyler, let's just start a mortgage brokerage and do this ourselves. So he was on board, and then he met our other business partner and Sunny Hill president, Ben Robinson, at a former employer, and had already helped him prop up Sunny Hill just a few months before with all the licensing and business formation. So we all met over coffee and joined forces in May 2018, and we were off to the races. And then, so, okay, so the brokerage then. Tell me about your company's based at Laguna Beach, and yet your, like, top producer in Utah in 2019, 2020, 2021. Tell me about that. I'm interested in, it's kind of an unusual market to choose from if you're in California. Well, like I said earlier, there's the least amount of competition. If you're in business, Pierce, a niche of the market that has the least amount of competitors, you're going to have a higher chance of succeeding, so... So, but why is there less competition in Utah? You told me, but I know our listeners don't, like we were talking before we turned the recorder, so I know the answer. But Yeah, it requires an additional license as a mortgage company to get originated. There has to be a principal lending manager designated, and that requires three years of experience and 40 hours of additional education, taking additional tests. So, so these additional barriers of entry leads to less competition, leads to less consumer direct mortgage companies choosing to pick Utah. Because if you're consumer direct, you can originate a loan anywhere. Locality is meaningless. Right. It's not the business model of realtor relationships that majority of the industry is always fighting over. You zigged in a real zig. You looked at a market. Have you ever heard the story where these companies, they got two shoe salesmen and they send them to this country. And when they get there, they go out and look and they say, hey, go out and see what you see. And they come back and the one guy goes, I can't believe it. Like nobody here has shoes. This is going to be a terrible market. And the other guy's like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing market. Nobody has shoes. And in a way, that's what you've kind of done. You saw something that a lot of people saw as a negative. You're like, hey, oh my gosh, the extra hurdles, the regulation. You're like, well, hold on. They're not going to clear them. So if we do, we're going to have a competitive advantage in this market. Does that sound about right? Of course. Exactly. As a business, you always got to scan the landscape and, you know, wherever you can make money, wherever you can succeed, why not do the extra work that other people aren't willing to do? But that comes back to the work ethic thing that we talked about. So then how did you acquire clients in Utah? So like, it's one thing to be like, okay, I'm licensed there, but then how do you get customers in a market that you're not in? So in the United States, and maybe you have this out there, you have these lead aggregators, Zillow, yeah, we have those. bank yeah. rate, mortgage rate tables, and you advertise. So it's a competition. It's like the price line of mortgages. I dominated it for all of 2019, basically. Number one, number one placement, just writing loans at lower margins than everybody else. We're just better at 
executing and more efficient than I think I'm the probably the most efficient originator, solo originator in the country. So I'm able to you know write three, four times the amount of loans as your average person. So I just don't charge very much. And so mortgages are a commodity. I think anybody that doesn't have a good price is trying to sell other features to direct the conversation away from price, away from rate. But at the end of the day, it's the rate that determining how much you're going to pay on a mortgage. Right. You were talking about the website. Was it Bankrate or who was you using for that? Bankrate. Bankrate. Right. And then, okay, so there was something else that you touched on that I thought was absolutely fascinating. Some people go direct to realtors. That's their business model. You can go direct to consumer. But you seem to have a knack for going direct to consumer, but then creating more business. So talk to me about sort of, I'm interested to know, like, what that looked like. So, you know, break that down for me. Like you said something uh, that you'd bought a certain number of leads and then you closed Y, generated Z number of referrals, you know, so that kind of thing. Yeah. So my customer experience pillars from day one were an extremely low price, fast closing time, about 18 day average, instant response and extreme efficiency. You know, speed and velocity is crucial in our business. I get a client on the phone. I'm going to close them 60 to 70% of the time. People are not responding instantly to leads. Your conversion goes down by the second. This applies to any lead, whether it's a referral or lead you purchase. So if you want to close more business, simply be relentless with your response times. Who cares what time of day or night it is? If they reach out to you, respond instantly. So I think people admire the hustle. In a lot of ways, I simply copied the Amazon model and applied it to mortgages. Or another analogy I like to use is look at Lamborghini, right? Ever wonder why Lamborghini cars don't have any advertising? The company believes in word of mouth. They've always stayed that way, and they believe it's the most effective marketing tool in their arsenal. This means if you create something greater than your competition, then the vehicles will sell itself. Lamborghini doesn't need to spend money in advertising because they have a product so desirable that people will share with others without any prompting from the company themselves. So I've run my business just like Lamborghini for the past few years. Zero advertising, zero social media, zero drip mail campaigns. Are you not doing the bot leads anymore, or is it at the top of your funnel? I haven't purchased leads since the end of 2019. I've just been writing referrals and word of mouth. And oh, okay. So tell me about how many leads did you buy? So companies like Bankrate, you provided these four things. You said low price, fast closing, instant response. What was the fourth thing? Extreme efficiency, instant response. Yeah. And then, okay. Think, so then think, how many leads did you buy? I bought 721 leads in 2019. I closed 280 or 40% of them. From that, I generated 316 referral leads, closed 193 or 61% of the time. And then in 2020, I closed 460 repeat clients. I generated 1,088 referrals, closed 635 or 58%. And then in 2021, I closed 399 repeat clients, generated 501 referrals and closed 257 or 51% of them. Okay. Okay. Dude, this is crazy. So originally you bought the 363 or the 700, you generated 300 and some leads. So that's like almost half of them are giving you a lead. What are you saying to them? Is there anything that you're, I mean, you're delivering on these things. Are you prompting them? Are you saying, hey, don't forget, send your friends and family? Like, I'm curious. Every funded loan, I send an email saying, hey, you know, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the business. If you know any friends or family that are in the market, please share my contact information. But it's more the memory of working with me. Everybody always says I'm different. I respond instantly. They call me a robot. They call me a machine. I just. I'm relentless. I just go above and beyond. Think how Amazon grew so fast is just obsession with the customer experience, delivering the best price in the industry. 
making it easy and efficient. I mean, that's what any consumer in any industry is looking for. You deliver a customer experience that's better than anything they've ever experienced before. You don't really need to do much. You create an army of they become uh, your salespeople for you. So you basically, there. it's one. Exactly. Is there any other points in the process where you're reminding them about, hey, send me referrals? No. So you just focus, no. you obsess about the customer experience, making it extremely yeah. efficient. If you read Bezos' book, I read his book and I applied a lot of you know his philosophies to the mortgage industry. Right. To my business. And so you generate a ton of referrals. And then for a long time, only up until recently, you got some support, but like how many files would you be closing? And you have like literally not even a process or nothing. Like it's just you, right? Like you're reviewing the paper. Walk me through that. Yeah. And I mean, the height of the refi boom, I closed over a hundred loans for seven straight months, 128 in one month, which is mind boggling even to myself. When, when that happened that month, I was just, uh, I adopted a mindset and we can get into mindset later, but it's just, you have to be quick with your decisions. You know what you need to do. You know what decision you need to make. You just got to make it. Like, Give me an example. So one of the things I've noticed with top producers is they're mm-hmm. very decisive. So it's between idea and execution. There's a very small, it's a very short gap. So is that what you're meaning in terms of once you know, hey, this is not a file, tell them no, or well, they yeah, need, they're going to need to do X, Y, Z, tell them right away. Or what do you mean? I'm very direct. I'm a straight shooter. I'm a master of my craft. I know everything. I don't need to go searching for answers because I am obsessed about absorbing just every piece of content our industry has to offer. Any situation that comes up, I immediately know what to do. There's no waiting. Right. I see. So because you don't have to go look up answers, you don't have to like go problem solve something. You're like, hey, I see a problem on a file. I know how to solve it. You're going to need to do X, Y, Z. I face everything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've done 10,000 loans in my career. I've seen everything. And it's that expertise that shines through for my clients. You know when you're dealing with a master of their craft. Right. There's a guy in Canada that sounds like you. His name is Jim Trelukas. And he has two people that work with me. He funds about 700 plus loans a year on average. But works Monday to Friday, like, you know, nine to five. He runs a pretty very efficient shop. So you sound like a version of Jim to me. And so you run your whole business off a spreadsheet as well. So what kind of tech... To be efficient, so there's obviously a mindset piece. What's different about your process that you feel like helps you be more efficient? Just keep it simple. I mean, you can't replicate Excel, the flexibility, and should I show you my screen? Sure, yeah. I'd, I mean, sure, nobody can see it on the call, but I'd be interested just to see the, if you want to click on the green rectangle, we can hit the share button. I'm interested to uh, see this. How many columns across? So if you have a person's name, so like let's say Bob and Sally, how many across is it? That you typically have columns. Do you see it? Yeah, I do. <laughs> is this the craziest thing you've ever seen? I don't know. <laughs> so then how do you know? Because uh, I see different colors. So is that stuff that you're working on that needs attention and then like you're moving them along? Is that how that works? Yeah, the loans at the top are the ones that are nearing ready to close, highlighted in red. But basically it's anything in highlight is tasks that need to be done or like different meanings for different color codes here. But I go through this every single day before I go to bed every night. I run through this and I make sure everything is where it needs to be on every file. So there's never any surprises. There's never anything that, you know, slips through the cracks. Right. Um, So this just requires an extreme amount of diligence and manual uh, updating. But it's the only way you can stay sane and stay organized when you have a pipeline of like I'm dealing with 
over a hundred loans right now, purchase loans by myself. Right. Lock loans in my pipeline. Right. Okay. So obviously you keep it simple. And I've heard a quote recently, which I love, which is simple scales, complex fails, which it sounds like what you've done. And was there anything else? So when that first inquiry comes in, how long from that, if I call you up and say, Hey, I want to get a loan. What's that process look like? I'm curious, you know, minutes, seconds, if possible. I don't set appointments. I just attack everything as it comes. I like to say that, you know, that carnival game, whack-a-mole, that's yeah. my entire day is just whacking moles. I'm always caught up on emails. I never let anything. You get to inbox zero? Yeah. I'm just relentless at keeping that thing at zero. And I say it's like every morning from like 6 a.m. to midnight, it's just running a gauntlet. And I love it. I love the intensity and the pace. It's just, it's insane. I think your, your work ethic is off the shizzle. Like it's crazy. So you deal with things as they come up as quick as humanly possible. When do you get time to like take care of your mental health and stuff? Like, how do you take a break? I don't really need it. I'm built different. I, yeah. uh, I have a ton of energy. People know this. They say it all the time about me. I mean, the mental capacity to deal with what I do, but that took years of preparation and mindset that we all can handle more than what we think we can. There's always another level, even for myself. There's always another level that you can take. It's how bad do you want it? How bad do you want to, you know, take that next step? So most people are going to get overwhelmed or start to feel pressure when they have more than, I don't know, 20 loans. I don't feel any fear. I don't feel any stress. It's just I have trained myself to not worry about things. Like, it's just not stressful to me. Right. You know, it is in the beginning when you're starting out. This is your new video game. You, you said before you touched on video games. Is. This is your new video game, essentially, except it, it's real people uh, and, and dollars. You look at anybody at the top of their craft, MJ or Kobe Bryant, they're obsessed. You're obsessed yeah. and you're addicted to your craft. You just thrive on it. I'm a big advocate of Tim Grover and relentless in his book, Winning or yeah. Fabulous. And I adopt a lot of that mindset. So how did you transition? So it was a big refi boom. So obviously that's slow, that stopped basically. Or how did you transition? Because I got to think that, you know, you said you got a hundred in your pipeline right now purchases. So you were doing a thousand refis. And what happened there? You obviously saw that coming. When it happened, you're like, okay, what kind of things did I you do? I put the lead purchase back on. I dominate Zillow rate table in about 10 states. Okay. So then you basically went back to that. Are you still generating referrals? So like now, are you still able to do a yeah. bot lead and then generate referrals from that bot lead? Sure. Nothing's different. You have an at-bat with a client. I still convert about 25% of purchase leads, which is pretty phenomenal, I like to think. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's having that at bat and winning over that client. And they that is very high it. on purchase leads. Like it's extremely high. You know, it's probably. Two I talk to someone, I convert one out of two. I talk to maybe 50% of the leads. You can't get them right? all on the phone. You're never so if you can get them on the phone. Exactly. Yeah. I close. Right. Okay. So you close 50% of the people you talk to. And then how long ago did you put the bot leads back on? 40 days ago. Okay. And then, so have you generated referrals yet from those bot leads? I know there's usually a lag on that, but have you been watching that? Yeah. Yeah, especially with like new subdivisions, you have people that are friends moving together in the same subdivision or other people purchasing. It just grows. It's the compound effect. You just got to be consistent and let, you know, the eighth wonder of the world compounding do its magic. Right. And so how many days a week do you work? Seven, no days off. Yeah, if you're funding a thousand mortgages at your peak there with no help, you had to be working seven days a week. Like. Yeah, the top of any industry, there are no days off. It's just a mentality. It's a mindset. You right. just accept it. If you want to be the best at your craft, 
you got to maximize your time. Time. You sound like you're, you said to your mom would go to work at four and come back at 10. So is yeah. that like, were you like your mom yeah. that way? Yeah. I mean, we are like our parents. Yeah. This is who we are. Can't right. really change it. What does your mom think of what you're doing in, in your mortgage business? Or your mom and dad, I'm curious. Uh, she's proud, of course. But yeah, her and my fiance, the one thing they want to look out for me is my health, right? Yeah. My dad suffered a stroke from overworking. So that's a weakness that I have. I think anybody that's doing what I'm doing, it's just, you're addicted to it. It's hard to put it down, hard to let it go. It's hard to put away right. the laptop. So you touched on, you said you're addicted to video games. So tell me about that. Like, were you joking or is that something that there was a period in your life where it was actually true for you? It is true. Back in college for a few years, I used to play this video game for 12, 18, 24 hours straight at times. It was just uh, one of those massive multi-online role Which game was it? EverQuest. Okay, EverQuest. I've heard of it, yeah. <laughs> So for those that don't know, you create an avatar, you work to level up your character by killing creatures, and you go on these marathon raids with your other, uh, they call them guild members. And I played on a player versus player server where you're basically fighting other players out there. So it's just very intense. You learn to be extremely nimble and quick and just a machine with the computer. Right. So I took a lot of those skills to originate. I'm just insanely fast with just bouncing around, multitasking. How many, screen, how many screens you, do you have? Do you run your mortgage business off? Do you just have one big screen? Do you use multiple screens? What is your setup like? Just two. All you need is two. Yeah. I think more than that, you're just spinning your head. You're showing you're showing off. You're like, look at all my screens. It's like you got a stock you ticker. Need, you don't need that many screens. You only can look at one screen at a time. So yeah, two screens is enough. Right. Okay. And then, so you're into this gaming thing. So that's interesting. So what do you think drives you now? What's the thing that's like driving you? Obviously you've made a bunch of money and you could, you know, but what's driving you to continually still want to be better? I'm addicted to doing loans. I'm addicting to helping clients that reach out to me. I just have a hard time. I don't ignore people. I just feel this sense of duty to, to help people. I love originating loans. I love helping people. Um, I love fancy stuff. I love nice things. And <laughs> to support the lifestyle, I have to keep going. Right, right. Yeah, uh, I bought a Lamborghini a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, which so one? The Aventador SV. Yeah. Work hard and buy nice things. Take advantage of the skills that you have. And Right. So, okay, this has been a fun conversation. You're very inspiring from a just energy and work ethic. I know a few people that have that. There's this, something called an Enneagram. I don't know if you've ever done that test before. You've ever done an Enneagram? You know what that is? It's like a profile of yeah, like a motivation. I did, I did a course on that. Which what, right, what number I, are you? I actually studied forget it's been a couple of years. It's um I would guess you're an eight, but I could four? be wrong. You're eight? a four? No. I'd have to hang on. I'd have to go look again. I know it's like nine numbers, right? Yeah. I would um, guess you're an eight only because eights tend to have ridiculous work capacity when they get into something. They're just like, but that's just my you know, narrow scope of what I've seen from our conversation. Uh, three. Three You're three. Cheaper. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense too. Actually, there's, that would be the other one. So threes tend to be very productive people as well, man. This has been a lot of fun. So let me ask you this. If you could go back to your first day as a mortgage originator and give yourself some advice, you know, sit down, Brian, this is what you need to know. What would you say to yourself? It's been a heck of a ride. I don't think I would do too much differently. However, my piece of advice would be one, be very selective about choosing your running mates and business partners. These are individuals that would be critical to your growth and success as an entrepreneur, as a mortgage broker. Uh, number two, when faced with any decision, you know, take the shot quickly. Don't sit there and ponder what to do. Just trust your gut, make a quick decision and attack. You know, we get paid to produce, not to dwell the pros and cons. There's really no time for that. 
if you don't take the shot, you're going to miss many opportunities. I wish time would stop, but it just keeps on clicking. If you make a mistake, learn and improve. That's really the only way. Three is you always have another level in you. The only thing stopping you is your mind. You know, do you want it bad enough or you want to put in the work and do whatever it takes to get there? These are all the questions that we ask, you know, when we wake up in the morning and when we go to bed every night, when we stop and think about what we're doing with our lives, you know, don't listen to the part of the brain that says, you know, no more, you can handle much more than your brain tries to tell you, you know, have no fear, just take it on, take the lead and everything miraculously will get done. Your brain will help you find the most efficient way. That's the mindset I adopted during the height of the refi boom. Spend more time strengthening your mind than working on your skill set. You know, if you want to be the greatest or one of the greatest of all time, your mindset has to be at the highest level possible. You know, what separated Kobe, MJ, or Tom Brady from their peers are their mindset. And that's what I've worked so hard on the past six years. Your brain is a muscle, and just like any other muscle, it requires consistent nurturing, practice, and repetition to perform at the highest level. That's amazing. I love that you always have another level. I remember reading once a Navy SEAL coach or like one of their trainers said that when people think they're done, they're only at 65%. He's like, you think you're done? you're not done. And so it sounds like you have that Navy SEAL mentality of like, just there's next level, next level, next level. There's not like, you know, gosh, this is amazing. Where can people find you online? Do you have like a site or Instagram or anything? B-Cook, B-E-C-O-O-K-E. It's my Instagram, just my personal. I don't do so much uh, social media, but I, we're kind of making a push into that here over the next couple months. I'm probably going to have a billboard up in uh, Utah and Salt Lake City working on that with Rocket Mortgage. They already approved that for me. So, but yeah, I mean, my cell phone, 650-678-0283. If you have any questions or help or text me anytime, happy to help. And Brian, this is awesome. Thanks, buddy, for the chat. Yeah, it's very inspiring. I think the name of this podcast is going to be the most efficient originator in America. <laughs> and people are like, what? No, I'm more efficient than whatever. But I think that it's going to be a fun show for me to put out. So thanks again for having a conversation with me. Thanks again for having me. All right. Thanks again for listening to that conversation with Brian. Hopefully you feel inspired. Maybe, you know, I don't want to work seven days a week, but I want to work harder and more focused and keep things simple. If you're listening to this, a couple things. One, you can go check out our I Love Mortgage Brokering page. We have a free power search tool. You can keyword search all of our past episodes, find every keyword you're looking for. Jump to that in the episode. You can copy and paste any scripts that come out of it. Very powerful, totally free. Check out lovemortgagebrokering.com. In this upcoming segment, I talked to Reuven about myths of a virtual closing. Hey, Reuven, welcome back to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott, great to be here. Thanks for having me again. Hey, so today let's talk about the myths of virtual closings because sometimes people don't really, I don't think they always understand exactly what that is. So why don't we dive into that? Yeah, so I think uh, obviously virtual closing, maybe just a level set by definition, essentially means you're still going through a very similar closing process. The steps in the background are very similar. Where it differs is the, the actual signing of the document. So, you know, back in the day, even going back to pre-COVID, you used to have to go into a lawyer or notary's office, or if you're doing it with a title company, if you're closing with a title company, you have to go into the branch to sign physical documents in wet ink. Well, that legislation in most provinces has changed over the last couple of years, initially due to COVID, since then it's become permanent in a lot of provinces where you're able to close your transaction, essentially sign your documents virtually, which means you could do it from the comfort of your own home, you could do it from your office, you could do it, you know, pulled over to the side of the road from your vehicle, essentially anywhere where you can get a device and an internet connection, you can, you know, sign your documents 
and it basically you know uses a system to translate those signatures into officially recognized signatures. Legal, yeah, it's legal transaction. And it's actually, I thought I assume it's actually, because I did a couple of transactions with you guys and my dad did and he's not tech savvy. And yeah. uh feels to me like, because you have a recording of the whole thing, like it feels to me like it's uh, more secure than just, you can't even do the he said, she said thing because I don't know, it's just, it's pretty slick. Okay, so let's talk about how does it actually work? So explain that part to me first. So with our system, so we've built technology to make it even easier than what we've typically seen as sort of the industry standard. So the industry standard's been to default to something like using Zoom and still, you know, needing to print documents on the borrower side. So the borrower, assuming, you know, has a printer, has to print the documents and then have essentially a lawyer, notary or commissioner witness their signature and still have to courier the documents back. Now, that's essentially what we kind of call a hybrid closing. So it's not fully virtual if you're still bound by having a printer and having to essentially sign in ink, ink and yeah. be watched over video. So as you would imagine, it's not the most convenient because I know from my own personal experience, I don't really have access to a printer. And every time I try to print or scan stuff, it's very, very tight. I hate it. Oh, somewhere. yeah. I don't want to print anything. You know, so what we've built at Deeded is essentially a fully virtual signing room. So it works very similar to if you've been to Zoom, you don't have to download anything. You just click the link. Then you're essentially on live and recorded video stream with a lawyer or notary walking through the documents on one side of the page, and then you sign the documents either on your screen or you can use your phone as essentially a sign pad. So you would sign. You know, That's what I did. I got a message. It's like, hey, you sign your phone and then it just turned it sideways. And it was like, it was so easy because everybody's phone has touch enabled. So that was really slick. Yeah. So it just makes it a lot easier. So really, for the most part, I know in Ontario, it's a zero paper environment. So you're literally, you're not printing anything on your side we don't print anything on our side either so it's all done fully electronic so by the time you're done say you're you know 20 or 30 minute signing session everybody gets a copy of the signed documents and then you have a digital record of it we won't even talk about you know sort of the environmental impact of how many trees are saved by you know doing that but also from a convenience perspective of course now you've got you know, files where we've got multiple borrowers and co-signers and they might be in different locations so that means with this virtual signing technology, all we need to do is coordinate a time. Everybody logs in from their home. They could be on vacation, they they could be in the office. Yeah. You know, they could be, you know, walking the dog in the park and then still get the transaction done. So, which leads us to the next real benefit is it's all about speed as well. So we had, I think uh, you're aware of this, we had a closing last week in BC and there were some delays and the lender was requiring some sort of affidavit or a last minute document mm-hmm. from the buyers and was holding back on funding. Well, instead of going back and forth printing and getting that uh, document, you know, sent out again, or, you know, booking those borrowers to come into an office to physically sign that entire process took about an hour beginning to end, getting the document generated, getting the document signed. And of course, it made sure that that deal closed on time and made a huge difference. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Okay, so is there some kind of sense that, you know, uh, virtual closings are just for young people, you know, driving their Teslas? Talk to me about that. I've said to you, my dad used it and, you know, he's not tech at all. So tell me about what you're finding there. Yeah, so we really see a mix of people and we see... You know, tech savviness, of course, isn't necessarily anymore correlated to age, but let's call it for what it is. But ultimately, what we're seeing is it's not only for younger people. We're seeing people from all spectrums um, are 
adopting the convenience of it. And really the experience is as easy as clicking a link. So if you've got someone that, you know, has been on a Zoom or FaceTime call and is comfortable doing that, I'd say they're a great candidate for a virtual signing or virtual closing. So it really doesn't take any more technology knowledge than that. You don't have to install software. You don't have to figure out, you know, how to operate it. It really is fairly simple. And then we've got great people on our side that, of course, will help and support them through it. Yeah, walking yeah. through. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So it's not an age thing. You can click a link. Yeah. Okay. So what are the myths or benefits of virtual closings? I think if we're talking about sort of, you know, benefits to a broker, I think a lot of us have seen over the last couple of years with the pandemic, a lot of our customers have moved to different places. They're no longer, you know, sort of within a five kilometer radius or five mile radius of our office. So the ability to be able to offer your clients a virtual option really helps you stand out as a broker, really helps make sure that your clients are getting great service. They're offered the convenience means that, you know, now that people are traveling again, that they're going on holidays, they're not putting their life on hold because they've got a mortgage being renewed or refinanced or purchase coming up. The other big thing that I've mentioned before is really speed, right? We're in a changing interest rate environment. The market is very, very finicky. The media loves the negative headlines. Oh my gosh. I saw recently a post home prices in Kelowna have lowered for the, you know, first time in 21 months, you know, how much they lowered? 0.01%. Like it was literally like the average home price was like people were then going nuts on the comments because they don't read the freaking article. And it's just, oh, great. We're getting the algorithm to get our news site in front of people, but it's just garbage. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So that really, you know, emphasizes the point when it comes to closing, you know, speed of closing, especially those refis, speed is of the essence because your clients are seeing, you know, Scott, those same headlines that you are. And they're seeing, you know, interest rates are rising. There's another announcement. They need a good sense of comfort. And, you know, being able to wrap up a deal quickly is of the essence. So a lot of times, you know, that signing appointment itself causes a lot of friction when you have multiple borrowers, you're trying to schedule up, not around this week, I'm out of town that week, we're traveling, we're working and so on. So that ability to get that appointment booked on a, you know, Saturday night after the kids are in bed and get the documents signed so the deal can get funded is huge, especially in an environment where interest rates are shifting, where consumers are more frantic over the headlines and what's going to happen with the economy, et cetera. Yeah, I totally agree. One of the things we've been telling our agents is as soon as you have that commitment, get the appraisal booked and done. Because if there's any, and appraisers are a little bit skittish, depending on the market you're in, it's not true everywhere, right? But so we're like, get those done. Again, speed does absolutely matter. So, okay, what are the sort of wrap this up with the virtual closing? So what are the kind of things people should think about? So ultimately, it's, as we've discussed, speed, it's convenience, but it's also an experience. Ultimately, one thing we have to always keep in mind that at the end of the day, every consumer just, you know, is after an outcome. If they're purchasing a home, you know, a mortgage is just a byproduct to get them to achieve that goal that they have, which is ultimately, you know, put the keys in their hand. You know, how do you leverage tools like virtual closing, for example, to make that experience a lot easier for your clients to get to that outcome, whether, you know, they're refinancing their mortgage or they're purchasing, et cetera. How do you make that more frictionless? And again, virtual removes a lot of that friction from having to coordinate a meeting to, you know, from fussing with your printer and trying to figure out how to, you know, fit 11 by 17s and scan them back and couriers and things like that. People appreciate that frictionless method or the frictionless way. And last but not least, you know, I think we all have that preconceived notion that, you know, technology is only for the young and tech savvy. 
It really isn't. I think no. you know, ultimately never hurts to ask the question to your client in terms of what they prefer and yeah. the option in front of them. Worst thing they'll say is no, we prefer the traditional way. And that's absolutely fine. Everybody has a choice to make. And I think that pretty much covers the virtual aspect of closing a transaction. Right. I can tell you that when we did our transactions with you, refine a purchase, it was very, very slick. And then, as I said, with my dad, it was very cool. It was kind of cool to actually be the customer in the experience as opposed to on the outside. So that's another thing you guys should, if you are doing something with your own mortgage, try this service out. So I always like to kind of drink your own Kool-Aid, see what it's like. And then that way you can know what the customer experience is. So if you guys are listening to this, I recommend you go check out Ruben's company, Deeded. They're amazing virtual closing service. And I highly recommend them. They're fantastic. And you can find them at deeded.ca. Ruben, always good to chat with you, brother. And I'll see you on the next Ask the Experts. Thank you so much, Scott. Great to be here. Hey, thanks again for listening to me have a conversation with Brian as well as Ruben today. Hopefully you got a couple ideas to help you run a better, more efficient mortgage business. If you're an experienced mortgage broker and you're like, man, I need to up my game. We can help with that. Go to 10loansamonth.com. We've got an academy there with amazing coaches that all have a superpower, a special particular set of skills that will coach you on that particular thing and help you grow your business. We only open it a couple times a year. Go to 10loansamonth.com. It's the number 10 to get on the wait list. And if you're a rookie, then go check out our rookie to rockstar.ca. We've designed an entire brokerage around helping rookies become successful faster than anywhere else in the industry. Go check that out. And thanks again for listening to this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.